Anyway, good morning, good morning. Um, as you turn to the book of Jude, um, just wanted to uh, pass on a message. I received a, a, an email from Pastor Kevin's smartphone in Israel. It said, uh, I'm praying for you. It's already Sunday morning. This was last night. It's already Sunday morning. So I was like, wow. It's like hearing from the future or something. <laughs> but anyways, so he will be back with us next Sunday. But um, today, if, you, uh, if you're new or you haven't been with us the last week or two, we are <clears throat> doing a third part uh, today of a four-part series in the book of Jude during the month of January. The title of today's message is Contending with the Ungodly. So if you would stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. Um, and by the way, how's the memorizing going? Good. Got some goods. We got some, you know, and different... I'm almost done with verse 1 myself, so I encourage you to keep at it. <clears throat> but we're going to read uh, this morning up to verse 19, so if you'll follow along. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ the br and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains and under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over their sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh." reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, <clears throat> and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished and a rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men, saying, <clears throat> Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved... Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. 
Would you pray with me? Lord, as we look into your word, we, are, we come with reverence and awe and just uh, open hearts to hear what your spirit is saying to us, the church. This important message from Jude uh, for, for all of us, for all believers to the end of the age, to contend for the faith. Lord, so uh, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying, to receive and to walk the, in these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so again, if you're new uh, this morning or you haven't been able to join us the past couple of weeks, um, we are continuing our four-part series in the book of Jude. And by the way, um, as Garrett mentioned, the, our small groups are about to start this week. And the home groups are going to study the entire book of Jude for 10 weeks, verse by verse. They're going to start uh, this week uh, looking at this important message from Jude about contending for the faith. They're going to go right back to verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The home groups will discuss uh, how Jude introduced himself. He could have said, hey, I'm half-brother of Jesus. But he chose to emphasize that he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ, which, which in the Greek is doulos, a willing slave by choice. And the picture in the scriptures is that we are all born into the world as condemned slaves of sin, without hope in the world, unable to save ourselves. And our only hope is redemption. And as we know, Jesus paid the price with his own precious blood. He loved us, he bought us, and he purchased our pardon. In those days, a bond servant would say, my master who bought me, he's freed me. He loves me. He cares for me. I've committed my life to serve him all the days of my life. And like Jude, the attitude of a bond servant was, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, Jesus said, as many of you know, he who would be great in my kingdom must learn to be the servant of all. He said, the path to greatness in my kingdom is serving others. Is that not a radical idea in the world in which we live, in our society, that celebrates its celebrities and gives accolades for their achievements? So what does it look like to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, here in 2020? The home groups are going to dive in, discussing these things, verse by verse, with many cross-references as they go through the book of Jude. So it's not too late. If you haven't joined one of these groups, again, the home groups specifically, going through James, there's, there's, there's still room to take sign-ups. You can go to the connection desk or fill out a card in front of you. We'd love to see you there. So in review, Jude's letter to the church is an exhortation. It's an exhortation to contend for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints by the apostles and prophets of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is saying, contend for the gospel. Contend for the truth. Contend for what is biblical. Contend for sound doctrine. He was basically saying to the church leaders of his day, you better wake up. Because as you were forewarned, and you see in verse 4, Ungodly men have already crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
These are apostates. They may have a form of godliness. They may speak Christianese. They may appear very spiritual and say, God bless you, brother. Amen. Hallelujah. But Jude says they are ungodly men who have rejected the faith. They deny the deity of Christ. They reject the authority of God and his word. They twist the scriptures, deceiving themselves and others, saying that the grace of God means we have the freedom to live as we please. Grace means it's a license to do what we want. We're not under the law. We're under grace. But if you examine their lives, you won't find godliness. You find lewdness. That means the life of an apostate is characterized by lust and obscenity and indecency. And they are on a mission to turn you from the faith. Their heresies and false doctrine are complete opposite of what we've been taught by the Lord and his apostles, that to be imitators of our holy God, to exercise yourself toward godliness. The heresies of the apostates are diametrically opposed to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the kind of person that he's transforming you to be. God is at work within the believer who is now in Christ. In him you are predestined, predestined to be conformed into his image. And walk as Jesus walked, one who denies himself, one who has, takes up his cross as a living sacrifice, serving and loving one another as he has commanded us. Chuck Missler, anybody heard of Chuck Missler? A wonderful Bible teacher who's gone home to be with the Lord. He said some interesting things about the book of Jude, made some interesting contrast between the book of Jude and some of the other books in the Bible. For example, he said, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke wrote what we also call the Acts of the Apostles, Apostles, okay? But Jude wrote about the Acts of the Apostates. Interesting contrast. They never were saved. They were exposed to the light of truth, but they never received Jesus. Jesus will say at the final judgment, I never knew you. They not only rejected him and his gospel, they have made it their mission to oppose him and lure people away. So for Jude, it's the act, acts of the apostates. Missler also said you can make a parallel between the book of J James and Jude. In the book of James, God's, it's, the theme is God's, excuse me, good works are the evidence of saving faith. Good works are the evidence of saving faith. We don't work for our salvation, we work from our salvation. Doing good and loving our neighbor as evidence of our salvation and of our willing submission to the commands of Christ. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So our desire is to see others saved and to know the love of God. So again, the theme of James, good works are evidence of saving faith, contrasted with the theme in Jude, evil works are the evidence of apostates, of apostasy and false faith. Jesus said you will know a tree by its fruit. Fruit is the evidence that we can all see. Evil works are the evidence of apostasy or a false faith. Apostates have twisted the scriptures to give themselves license for lewdness. So again, this is our third part in a four-part series, Contending for the Faith. And Jude had a specific message for the church leaders of his day, but the Holy Spirit through Jude has a relevant message for all believers 
to the end of the age. The Christian life is not a playground. Amen? The Christian life is a battleground. Satan is alive and well for now on planet Earth, and we are all in the Lord's army. The truth is under attack, as we've heard earlier. People are being deceived. Contending for the faith means it's necessary at times to fight the good fight of the faith. To contend for the faith means to take a stand for truth and righteousness. It means to guard and to protect and to preserve, to speak the truth in love, sometimes in tough love with those we love. Amen? So week one, it was contend humbly from verses one through four. Because we are humbled by the very truths we seek to defend. We contend humbly because we too once walked in darkness. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. And you he made alive, who were once dead in your trespasses and sin, in which, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So again, we contend humbly because we too once walked in darkness. We also contend, contend humbly because we are loved by God. He loved us first. We are forgiven and redeemed. And as it says in Jude 1, we are now sanctified and preserved. We contend humbly because God called us by his gospel. He saved us by his grace, and now multiplied to us is his mercy and peace and love. We contend humbly from our salvation, not for our salvation. We contend by proclaiming it unashamedly, uncompromisingly. This contending for the faith must begin in my own heart. I am saved to contend for these truths by obeying them and by living them out. So I encourage you, if you haven't been with us, to catch up and get the full message from part one. That's two weeks ago from Pastor Kevin. It's on the website. Part two last week was contend earnestly from verses 5 through 13. We contend for the faith, which, which means we earnestly remember God's judgment. Because all false teachers, along with ungodly and unrepentant lifestyles, will be judged. We'll face the judgment of God. So Jude gives three examples in verses 5 through 7. God judged the children of Israel, who after being delivered out of Egypt, tempted the Lord. They were grumblers and complainers among them. And in unbelief and disobedience, they rejected and despised the Lord, even saying, let's return to Egypt. We're better off. Let's go back. Some of them became idolaters and even given to sexual immorality. And in one day, it says, 23,000 fell in the, in the desert. 
So that was the first example. The second he, Jude gives in verse 6 is the angels. The second example of God's judgment, the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Third example, verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in similar manner to these, having great th given themselves over to sexual, sexual immorality and have gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So again, we contend for the faith earnestly, remembering God's judgment. The second thing is we contend by earnestly reverencing God's authority. Unlike apostates, June 8, uh, Jude 8, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of what they, whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. So Jude said, These ungodly men have rejected the faith and who have crept into the church. They say whatever they want to say to undermine any authority other than their own. They say what they want to say so they can do whatever they want to do. But we, who are contending for the faith, earnestly reverence God's authority. The third thing is to contend we earnestly refuse willful disobedience from verses 11 and 13. Willful disobedience is, determined, is a de determined pushing ahead in spite of God's clear instructions his loving admonition, and his warnings to stop. We contend by refusing willful disobedience. It was pointed out in the second, second part last week that the devil is a very persistent adversary who knows our weaknesses. He knows how to get under our skin, prodding us, tempting us to willful disobey. We must contend earnestly. Jude gives three examples in verse 11 of the apostates. They, they go the way of Cain, which is, was anger, envy, murder, the greed and error of Balaam, and the rebellion of Korah. So again, we won't dive into all the, the details that were presented last week. Again, I, I encourage you, if you haven't been here, get the message, get the full message. It's on our website. But finally, from last week, we looked at two sets of three illustrations in verses 12 and 13. Jews said of the ungodly men who have crept in, they are like spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear. Serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, laid autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. So the spots without fear, that's a word that also means like rocks, rocks hidden below the surface. It means they, they have no humility. They're there without fear, ready to trip people up. Clouds without water means these apostates will provide no refreshment for a thirsty soul. Trees without fruit, there's no fruit in their lives and there, or ever will be. Twice dead means no fruit and uprooted means they're never, they never will yield fruit. Three more illustrations in verse 13. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. 
raging waves, it's, it's scary. It's scary and they should alarm us. Foaming up their own shame, they are, they are shameful and, and, and that should appall us. Wandering stars, they are condemned and that should alert us. So again, these details covered in the last message, if you haven't been here, you can listen to those. But now we're moving on. That was the introduction for today. We're moving on to part three, okay? Contending against ungodliness. Let's look again at verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Jude is declaring once again that God will judge the apostates. Jesus Christ will judge them at the end of the age. So Jude, Jude refers to the prophecy of Enoch. And there were other writings that the Jews, in those days, they held sacred, sacred writings. One of those was the book of Jude. So here's a quote about that. The fact that Jude quoted from this non-biblical book does not mean the book is inspired and trustworthy, any more that Paul's quotations from the Greek poets put God's seal of approval on everything they said. The Spirit of God led Jude to use this quotation and make it part of the inspired scriptures. These other books, called the Apocrypha, are not included in our Bibles or the canon of Scripture, since the Holy Spirit led the Council of Churches to only include in the New Testament, as Scripture, the Apostles' Doctrine, and books like Jude, written from one who knew Jesus personally and was himself known by the original apostles. Okay? So we know a few things about Enoch from the scriptures, found in Genesis 5, Hebrews 11, and these two verses in Jude. He's called the seventh from Adam. And Enoch lived in a society that was rapidly being polluted and destroyed by sin. But Enoch, as it says, he walked with God. He did not allow his life to be polluted by ungodliness. He ministered as a prophet and announced the coming judgment. When Enoch originally gave his prophecy, it's very possible that he was referring to the coming flood that God would use to judge the earth and the, and the wickedness of man. He certainly lived in an ungodly age, and it seemed as though that sinners were getting away with their evil deeds. But Enoch made it clear that judgment was coming. The full application of his prophecy is to the whole world at the end times. It refers to the very judgment that Peter wrote about in 2 Peter 3. And false teachers will mock this prophecy. And they will argue that Jesus will never come and that God will never send judgment. But it's interesting, their very attitude and their mockery is proof of that God's word is true because these things were prophesied. Both the Lord and the apostles and the prophets all prophesied that scoffers and mockers would appear in the last days. So what does Enoch's prophecy say about the coming judgment? Number one, four things. Number one, Enoch's prophecy says it will be a personal judgment. God himself will judge the world. He'll, he'll not send another famine or another flood or a mighty angel. 
it will be God himself will come. And it will show the seriousness of the event and also its finality. But though it is a personal judgment, our Lord will not judge alone. The second thing Enoch's prophecy says is that the saints will be with him. The saints of God will be with him. It says this in Revelation 19, Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 3. They all say that the people of God will accompany the Lord when he returns to the earth to defeat his enemies and establish his righteous kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life. So the saints will accompany the Lord at this judgment. He will not judge alone. The third thing Enoch's prophecy says is that it will be a universal judgment. It says he will execute judgment upon all. None will escape. The word ungodly, you may notice, is used four times. Four times in verse 15 in Jude. 2 Peter 3 says, The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word of God, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. So this universal judgment will be the day of judgment and perdition, which means total ruin and destruction of the ungodly. It's a universal judgment. And the fourth thing that Enoch's prophecy says is it will be a just judgment. God will convict them of their sins. He will declare them guilty. He will pass sentence on them, and he will execute the punishment. There will be no jury, no defense, no appeal process. The entire process will be completely just because Jesus, the Son, the righteous Son of God, will be in charge and will judge them. He'll have record of all their ungodly deeds. He'll also have record of their motives and their hidden desires. He'll recall their hard speeches, as it says in Jude 15. The hard speeches they uttered against the Lord. Verse 16, these are the people who were the murmurers and the complainers, who spoke harsh things against God. Both Jude and Peter said they were not even afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. They spoke great swelling words, but at the judgment, their great words will bring great wrath. Look again at verse 16 through 19. These are grumblers and complainers, walking according to their own lusts. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause division, not having the Spirit. This is quite a list. These are the characteristics of the ungodly and of ungodliness. It reminded me of another list you may be familiar with from 2 Timothy 3. It says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, 
headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then Paul said to, to Pastor Timothy, they, having the form of godliness, they deny, they deny its power. From such people, turn away. These are the characteristics of the ungodly. Jude said some will creep into the church, having the form of godliness, but denying its power. These are the ones Jude, Jude was writing about. They'll appear spiritual. They may even speak great swelling words. And their attempts to infiltrate the church will continue until the end of the age. Ungodly, false teachers will creep in. It got me thinking, what, what are the other ways that the ungodly apostates are creeping in? How are, they, how are they creeping in today? Some of them have started their own churches. Many of them are blogging on the internet. Some of them have great resources and have their own television shows. They're on YouTube. They're giving TED Talks. They're attaching their links to Facebook. And it goes on and on and on. So I'd like to speak to our need to contend for the faith. Specifically, how are you contending with ungodliness? James says it, they can creep into the church. I think the way of the ungodly can also creep into our hearts and into our minds. Because the counsel of the ungodly and the wisdom of the world is streaming our direction from multiple sources. It's saturating the airwaves. It's interesting that Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. James wrote that about the wisdom of the world. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful. So I submit if we do not contend for the faith, if we do not contend with ungodliness, it will creep into our hearts and into our minds. I like the analogy of the wrestling match. It's like we are in one corner, and in the opposite corner is our opponent, ungodliness, who's taunting and laughing, boasting and bragging, arrogantly, as if he's already won, backed by the cheering crowd. Anybody uh, watching pro wrestling from time to time? I'm praying for you. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I tried watching some of it and anyway. <clears throat> but it, it's, it serves to remind us of our wrestling with ungodliness. And the, the wrestling organizations, I blew my mind. There's, there's many of them. And they have names that are, that are so fitting, <laughs> like Impact and SmackDown and Combat Zone and Anarchy Wrestling Company. You know, so it's like, okay. But I had to Google, what do the fighters say to each other when they're in the ring? You know, is, is somebody interviewed, you know, what do they usually say to each other? And I can't repeat it, so it's not good. Stuff about your mama, and, you know, and, and I mean, they taunt and they brag and they boast and they try to distract and get the person off balance and try to make them mad so they'll just flail and lose focus. So it's a, it's a, a, a useful picture. Wrestling with ungodliness. Contending means to be willing to get into the ring. It means standing up, fighting in that sense, taking a stand for righteousness and for truth. 
Because if we are unwilling to contend, we will get knocked over and pinned to the mat. If we are unwilling, unskilled, defenseless, we become useless in the fight, allowing ungodliness to have its way. We can allow it to win over and to advance. A famous quote you may have heard before, the only thing necessary for, for, for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Sobering. So how do we contend with ungodliness? How do we keep it from creeping into our hearts and minds and the hearts and minds of our children? Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. So number one, I think we can contend with ungodliness by guarding our own heart. We contend with ungodliness by guarding our heart. It's a way we can wrestle it to the ground in in a sense and remain standing in righteousness and truth. A question for all of us, I just convicted myself studying this out, but a question for all of us is how much of what the world is producing are you allowing into your heart? How much of what the world is producing are you allowing into your heart? Did you know most movies, TV shows, and music today, produced today, is ungodly? And it promotes the wisdom of the world, most of it. It's the result of people living life as though God doesn't exist. They live life as though God doesn't exist and that they are not accountable to him. I watch some of it, but should we not be watching less and less? Should we not be watching less and using discretion more? Are we not at risk allowing ungodliness to creep into our hearts? Because again, what we're viewing, for the most part, are people living life without God, as though he doesn't exist and as though they're not accountable to him. They are neither reverent or thankful. And it's ironic, some of the descriptions for some of these movies, they actually use the word irreverent. Have you noticed that? I'm like, okay, you got that right (laughs) about that movie. Romans 1 describes them, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So how ironic that we look to them many times to entertain us. I think it, become, it can become a matter of, of us setting aside standards and boundaries and our contending, lowering our, God, our guard, and allowing ungodliness to creep in. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a little inter- entertainment, right? We need to relax, uh, refre- be refreshed. But as someone said, let's not refresh ourselves by drinking water from the sewer. Okay? I'm convicted. Keep your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart. Jude's message is an exhortation to the church. Contend for the faith. Contend for the gospel, for the truth, and for what's biblical. The truth is under attack. As we heard this morning, there's a spiritual battle raging. The prince of the power of the air promotes ungodliness through the ungodly. 1 John 5, 19, we know we are of God, but the whole world lies in the sway of the wicked one. We contend by resisting, by taking a stand, by refusing to be silenced, by proclaiming, 
uncompromisingly and walking in the truth, with, which leads me to my second point. I think we contend with ungodliness. Excuse me, yeah, we contend with ungodliness and we contend for the faith by living a godly life. Notice uh, Titus 2.11. For the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. How do I live a godly life? James said, be a doer of the word. Simple. Be a doer of the word. Practice it. Will it show me how? Psalm 119 says, the word is a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. It'll show you how. Be a student of the Bible. Psalm 1 says, those who delight in the law of the Lord, in his law, and meditate day and night, he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in season. His leaf also does not wither. Whatever he does will prosper. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chap that the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, as we've been looking at, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. Notice, the way of the ungodly will come to an end. But in the meantime, we must contend for the faith. Contend humbly and earnestly. We contend by living a godly life, just like Enoch in his day, who walked with God did not allow his life to be polluted by the world. James, James talks about the same thing in chapter 1. Peter exhorted all believers who know that the judgment of God is coming for the ungodly. He said in 2 Peter 3, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening of the day of God? You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So again, we contend for the faith against ungodliness by keeping our heart with all diligence, by living a godly life. And I think also we contend for the faith by supporting those who are promoting the truth. Supporting those organizations who are pro proclaiming the truth of the gospel, the full gospel. So when giving your tithes and giving your offerings and giving your dollars, we need to do our homework, amen? Many ministries are truly evangelical and faithful to the gospel. They promote sound doctrine, the sound doctrine that Jude is talking about, but many do not. Some did and have discontinued. And I think we can contend for the faith by our support of organizations and ministries that remain to be found faithful. Contending for the faith. They stand for truth and they stand against ungodliness. They declare the true gospel. Today we highlighted a few organizations that stand, they stand for the right to life and for the sanctity of life. Organizations like CareNet and Embrace Grace and Healing Hearts. They contend for the faith and for the truth. And for the lives of the unborn who are created in God's image. They share the gospel with mothers with un unplanned pregnancies. We contend with ungodliness as we support them. Which leads me to my fourth point. We also contend by withholding support from organizations 
that do not proclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Withhold. But we need discernment. Please listen carefully. Do not rely on unreliable sources for, of information about other organizations. It's, we need discernment. Don't jump to conclusions by reading the blogs of those who are grumbling and complaining or disgruntled or deliberately divisive because some of the most effective work is being done by organizations that are under attack and are being slandered by ungodly apostates. So this is another way we need to contend. Fifth, we contend for the faith by casting our vote. And the list can go on. I'm going to let you finish, you know, continue your own list. Because <laughs> the truth is under attack. The ungodly have set their sights. They've set their sights on the sanctity of life. They've set their sights on the institution of marriage. They've set their sights on sexual identity. And the prince of the power of the air is behind it all. So I would challenge you to make your own list. How do you, or how could you, contend for the faith and contend against ungodliness? I'd like to end today by saying I don't think we need to contend with ungodliness by being contentious with people, okay? Our conversation should be with grace seasoned with salt, amen? We contend humbly with meekness by speaking the truth in love without compromise. Jesus taught us to love our neighbor, even to love our enemies who, and do good to them who despise us. Because God will judge. God will judge the ungodly who reject him. But his heart is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So if you're here today and you have not responded to Jesus and you have not turned from ungodliness, our hope and prayer is that you will receive him today. God loves you and will meet your repentance, which is your turning to him from ungodliness. He will meet that repentance with mercy. He'll pardon you from your sin and transform you and empower you to live for him in godliness. He's demonstrated his love for you and his desire to be reconciled to you by sending Jesus into the world to suffer and die for your sin. He paid the purchase price for redemption and he's risen again as our living Savior who's coming again to judge the world. Would you stand? And we'll have people on the sides um, up front if you would like someone to pray with you. We invite you to come. If you want to receive Christ this morning, if you want to return to him, any other prayer needs, we'd love to pray with you. So if we can have some leaders on the sides in the back, and let's uh, continue to worship as we do.